Hey, Real Talkers. Well, it's happening. The Daniel Smith government is completely overhauling Alberta Health Services, starting from the top all the way down. Well, nobody can claim the current system is working flawlessly. There's about a million different concerns about how those changes may affect frontline workers and the millions of patients that rely on the system every year. In this episode of Real Talk, we catch up with Alberta's health minister and talk to the president of the Alberta Medical Association. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, it quickly became the top story in Alberta politics, and, and that's saying something, considering everything that's going on. But when the NDP released a leaked documents indicating that the Daniel Smith-led UCP government had big plans to transform health care, the government soon confirmed exactly that. A news conference yesterday, if you're listening to this on Thursday, it was Wednesday, that the Premier of Alberta, her senior cabinet minister, that's Alberta's health minister, Adriana LaGrange, stepped up to the mic and said, yeah, we've had enough, we've seen enough, and we're doing something about it. Today on the show, the health minister joins us in just 30 seconds. We'll hear from the president of the Alberta Medical Association. What do Alberta's doctors make of the proposed plan? And we'll get to what you're saying, of course, as well in emails and comments to the show. This episode of Real Talk is presented by Business Career College that has a specific message to any of you that are looking for a rewarding and high-paying career without a university degree. You can get started as an insurance professional today with Business Career College. You know, in Canada, Canada insurance agents are starting well over 55 grand a year and they're earning up to 90,000 in in short order and all you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. BCC offers industry leading approved courses in life insurance, property and casualty insurance, plus their expert instructors are passionate about helping you launch your new career. Right now, great deal for real talkers, you can save 15% on any BCC insurance course with the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK. Get started today at businesscareercollege.com. Alberta's health minister uh, joining us on the show this morning. Uh, we know that uh, obviously a lot of people are wanting to talk to her and she's got a meeting to get to. So this interview is going to be quick, but we're going to get in as many questions as we can. Johnny, are we ready to rock on this one right now? Uh, she's here. We just can't see her. Okay, that's fine. Well, let's bring in the health minister. Maybe we can put a picture up of her or something like that. Minister, thanks for making time for us. Um, can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me, Ryan? I can hear you. Yeah, go ahead. Get your team to turn your camera on if you're able. Uh, I want to open with an email from Crystal. Crystal is one of, you know, five million Albertans probably paying attention to this story. She says, uh, until I've heard more perspectives, I'm reserving judgment on these changes. Says our family are chronic users of the healthcare system. I'll be encouraging all of my similar status friends to share their experiences positive and negative over the next few years. But I do have a question for the minister. She says, I'm grateful she's on Real Talk. Uh, Does this new major overhaul include a plan for recruitment and retention of frontline staff? Isn't that one of the major factors in our healthcare challenges at this moment? What would you tell Crystal and the rest of us? Well, um, thanks, Ryan. And I am heading into a rural municipality association uh, forum right away. So I'm en route. So my apologies on the camera not being on. But uh, what I would tell Crystal and 
all of uh, Albertans is that, in fact, um, we have been working very hard on a health workforce strategy. We are hiring, we're recruiting. Uh, we want to retain the excellent uh, physicians and healthcare workers that we have here in Alberta, but we know more needs to be done. And uh, when we have a, a, a model, a structure that isn't working, we also have to deal with the structure and what is going to happen and for the average Albertan is that they won't have to um, uh, access their health care any differently than they're access accessing it right now. But on at the governance level, we are going to introduce some changes. And so for every Albertan, uh, we are nothing changes for you right away on the ground, other than we're hoping very quickly that we'll be able to introduce strategies that will, in fact, provide more health care professionals uh, at the front lines. A lot of people are concerned that experts weren't consulted on this, that this is essentially politicians putting together policy for, for frontline and other healthcare workers. What specific healthcare policy experts were consulted before this plan was rolled out? Well, we've consulted um, uh, widely and broadly on various topics, including the modernizing Alberta's primary care system, which I brought out recently. Uh, we had an Indigenous panel as well. We had expert panels that uh, fed into that uh, those reports. And I brought out um, recommendations that we're acting on quickly now on modernizing Alberta's primary care, because, of course, primary care is the foundation or should be the foundation of health. Right now, most of the decisions that are are made through AHS or through the lens of acute care, of hospital care, when we really should be looking at strengthening the primary care, uh, which is your local physicians, uh, nurse practitioners, and other primary care providers. <clears throat> Pardon me. Minister, uh, was, there any, was there any external or unbiased expertise that was sought? Like, is there a name that health policy experts would recognize somebody that was consulting with the government externally? You know what? Uh, I, again, Ryan, I was actually going to continue by saying that we did extensive um, uh, a review of the continuing care system. We had an AHS review. We've had uh, we've interacted with Alberta EMS Provincial Advisory Committee and the EMS Dispatch Review. So we've been reviewing all of the structures. Uh, what I also want to say is that we're going to engage with every single. Um, uh, healthcare provider and healthcare professional who wants to engage with us because we are starting on this journey. This is a framework that we've proposed and that we're working on, and it is going to be informed by those frontline workers who are experts in their own field. Minister, there's a lot of obviously specialized outpatient services that are offered in hospitals, cardiology, psychiatry, neurology. For people with chronic conditions, um, you know, things that would extend beyond acute care, how will these changes impact the delivery of those services? What we're really looking to do is, because we're laser-focused on um, having these uh, different priority sectors, the primary care, acute care, continuing care, mental health and addiction, where the governance structure is going to be looking at improvements. The other piece to it is a seamless patient journey. Right now, it is fragmented. If you go into an acute care facility, uh, they have access to your files. But if you're in primary care or in an outside of AHS facility, oftentimes the transfer of information is very fragmented. We're looking to provide a seamless journey where we can, um, where the patient is at the center of the um, of the journey. 
So patient care, uh, patients are customers and we should be providing excellent customer service. And right now, most customers aren't getting excellent service. Minister, what does this mean for agreements between primary care centers, uh, primary care networks rather, and NAHS? Like, are there going to be changes to PCN governance? And will this new primary care focused agency, do you think, bolster PCNs? Uh, We are really looking to develop our primary care network right across Alberta, Um, you know, primary care networks, but specifically the structures beyond what primary care networks could look like. I'm working very closely with um, uh, Dr. Paul Parks. I I heard that you would be interviewing him shortly. We're looking at a new funding model for primary care physicians across this province so that they can uh, provide better service, but also make sure that they're fairly compensated uh, so that we can attract and retain more of those primary care uh, individuals and healthcare professionals across this province. Um, When we look at contracts right now, uh, AHS pretty well sees, uh, oversees all of the contracts in continuing care and a lot of other disciplines when in fact their focus should be on acute care. Uh, they were meant uh, to to really serve acute care, uh, be in charge of hospitals when they were initially uh, developed, when AHS was initially developed in 2008, and I've spoken with previous ministers um, uh, of health. Uh, it was really around that acute care focus. But what they branched out into is procurement, being a regulator, being a service provider, and also developing policy um, by the fact that of my $26.4 billion budget, AHS currently um, oversees approximately $18 billion of it, and uh, really through the lens of acute care, as I said earlier. Minister, uh, Dr. Lyle Loberg uh, appointed the new board chair at AHS, obviously a former Klein health minister, a longtime uh, Alberta legislator, uh, and a longtime proponent of private health care delivery. What's on the table and what's not uh, in when it comes to privatization? Nothing is on the table in terms of privatization. I, I can't be more clear on this, Ryan. We are not privatizing healthcare in Alberta. It is a publicly funded, uh, publicly de- delivered healthcare system, and that will continue. What we are focused on is really improving service delivery and making sure that patients get the quality service they deserve, uh, not just now, but into the future. We have to take into account that we have an aging population and we have to make sure that our continuing care services are are up to the challenge that we will be facing. We need to bolster our primary care so that, in fact, we keep people healthy and out of hospital. So we really are, um, that will be the challenge to uh, Dr. Oberg as the chair to look at AHS as it currently exists, make sure that as we start to look at what areas should be under the new governance structure of primary care, uh, continuing care and mental health and addictions, that that we have a, um, a thoughtful process in, in disseminating that. But at the end of the day, it is really to provide quality uh, patient care with outcomes that are um, uh, very transparent for everyone to see and also to make sure that our workforce who really deliver the care and we have amazing amazing healthcare professionals right across this province and we want to make sure that they have a really good work-life balance that they're able to contribute and that they're being listened to because right now I hear often from our workforce that they're not 
actually listened to. Okay, I just I just want to be clear because I I. I I know that the Alberta Surgical Initiative, this is news we were looking at just about a month ago. Uh, there was talk of a private facility to cut wait times uh, for weight loss surgery in particular. I'll give credit to Michelle Belfontaine from the CBC for reporting on that. So are you saying no private surgical clinics? You're saying no private operators in any context? No hospitals are for sale? No long-term care centers are for sale? There's no fine print? There's no privatization plan, period? There is no privatization of healthcare. We adhere to the Alberta um, Health Health Insurance Act, and we also adhere to the uh, Canada um, Health Act. And those items, uh, those areas that are insured, those um, those um, surgeries um, and medical procedures that are insured, will continue to be insured and covered. Uh, Obviously, there's many things that are not covered that uh, we currently have access to, whether it's, um, um, you know, um, uh, cosmetic procedures, etc. Those facilities will still continue to exist. We have chartered surgical facilities that are dealing with the backlogs of our um, surgery wait list that those surgeries are being performed, yes, in clinics that are run by physicians that also perhaps do other surgeries that are not covered under the Canada Health Act or under the Alberta Insurance Health Act. But those items that are covered will continue to be publicly covered. So, um, so I'm not sure what you're, you're getting at. Oh, I'm, I'm just asking a question I think a lot of people are asking, which, you know, they're curious about privatization and, and what impact that might have on the system and, and where the line might be drawn and what the government might explore as a private option and what the government might not. Fair question at this point. Um, I know you've got right. to run. And, I, and, and, and maybe I, I'll just be a little bit more clear just sure. so that it's sure. very clear. We are not privatizing health care in Alberta. So those items that are covered currently will continue to be covered currently. And we will look to uh, making sure that Albertans have more access to these services. Really, it's about improving access. We have really long wait lists for surgeries, much needed surgeries. I hear daily from Albertans that have problems. uh, You know, they have a a hip surgery that's much needed. And unfortunately, it's 18 months or two years away we need to correct that. And, and so our focus is going to be to really making sure that we can get those wait times shortened and, and eliminated is my general overall hope. Uh, Minister, grateful for your time. I know you got this RMA meeting. One last question for you. I know a lot of people are concerned uh, that that ideology is bleeding over into delivery, in particular in harm reduction, in addressing Alberta's opioid crisis. And these documents that were leaked contained a comment that sometimes in harm reduction, in particular mental health and addiction, that AHS programs were, quote, running counter to government direction. What assurance do you have, if any, for people that are concerned that politicians are imposing policy? on experts that ideology is trumping expertise? Um, I know that uh, Minister Williams, who's the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, is working extremely hard to make sure that every Albertan who suffers from uh, mental health or addiction issues, particularly the addiction issues that uh, are leading to uh, some of the um, the, uh, 
the problems that we're seeing, um, that they are working extremely hard to make sure that the services that they need are available to them right across the province. And so we're going to continue to do that. And I know he's uh, very committed to that. And I'm sure he'd be happy to come on your program and have a conversation about this. Well, the door is wide open and I sure appreciate that, Minister. We're grateful for your time. We'll talk again. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Okay, Thanks, that's friend. you got it. Take that's care. Albert, uh, you bet. Alberta's Minister of Health, uh, the Honorable Adriana Lagrange, joining us just before stepping into a meeting with the rural municipalities of Alberta. That's the RMA. Uh, we're now going to hear from, in just a quick second, the president of the Alberta Medical Association. Interesting tweet from the minister yesterday thanking the AMA for for cooperating with them for participating in this. I'm curious to know how accurate that is. We'll find out in just a second. This conversation is presented by Real Talk partners like our friends at Friesen Brothers, 16 different Alberta locations, soon to be 17 by the way in the spring. For those of you living in West Edmonton, you've heard the rumors on the traffic circle. You know what I'm talking about. We will keep you posted when that one's opening up. But in the meantime, if you want to check out Father Dough Pizza, this is fresh sourdough quality ingredients that are made in a wood-fired oven fresh for you. John and I are always raving about the Father Dough Pizza. You love the vegan pizza? Incredible. They've I love got it. That, what do they call that pepperoni again? That oh, is just the, the Beyond Meat pepperoni. So good. They've got a pizza for everyone there and they're incorporating more and more, you know, gluten-free, everything. It's awesome. Yeah, man. And you can take it with you. So here's what you do. You walk in in Fort Saskatchewan or South Edmonton. Those are the two locations offering this with the big Forno oven there that you can watch it go. We walk in, we order our pizza, we go do a little bit of shopping, and then they give you this pager. The pager buzzes when your pizza's ready. They box it up for you. You take it home. It's affordable, and you're not going to find a better pie in Edmonton. You'll find it at Friesen Brothers, proudly Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want to remind you that they're about so much more than just dog food. They've got cat food as well. Plus, they've got supplements and some of the tools that your family can integrate to make mealtime that much more rewarding for your pup. Go to the shop now link at granddog.ca. I'm talking about the Mine Pet Platter, M-I-N-E, the Mine Pet Platter. This is what our dogs Moses and Monroe eat off of. They're really neat. They're, it's like a platter with grooves in it, right? And so if, if you're feeding your dog kibble, it goes into the grooves. If you're feeding them raw, it works its way into the plate. The dog works their way around the platter. It, it stimulates them intellectually. It's made with an innovative material, safe, non-toxic, Plus, it's food and dishwasher safe, recyclable as well. And don't forget to check out the supplements, including the Four Leaf Rover bundles as well. Moses is getting into these for hip and joint issues. We've seen them pay off on the health front. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order. Delivered to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. That's granddog.ca. And we also wanted to mention, if you're looking for a career in business, you just need a kickstart. You need some expertise. You've got all the motivation. Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business could be for you. You've got the talent. You know that, though you may not say it to everybody all the time, but they've got the connections. You've got drive. They've got direction. You've got purpose. They can help you apply it. Get down to business today with Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business at nate.ca slash business. They specialize in accounting, data analytics, entrepreneurship and innovation, finance, hospitality management, HR management, or even marketing. This is a great way to launch yourself forward like so many have that have come before you. You can find more details. Apply today at nate.ca slash business. 
Our live chat is uh, just uh, full of praise, like this one from Sheldon, who says, I just can't listen to Jesperson. He is awful. Sheldon, thank you so much for being here this morning. We also appreciate those of you that are sharing your perspectives for us. The biggest storylines when it comes to you know what you're paying attention to or how you think these big health changes might impact you or your family. Let's figure out where Alberta's doctors are at. Dr. Paul Parks is a longtime physician. He's also the president of the Alberta Medical Association. Thanks for making time for us this morning, Doc. It's nice to see you. Uh, thanks for having me here. I should say I, I get that kind of praise a lot, too. So Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, hey, listen, doctors and nurses and other frontline workers have been putting up with a lot, to say the very least, and they've been putting it out there day after day for the past few years. How did this announcement this week land with your membership? Oh, to put it bluntly, I mean, I think everybody has seen it for what it is in the sense of it's it's just a structure. Like the devil's in the details. How how is this going to be implemented? How is it going to be operationalized? And how's it going to change the tr- the troubles and the things we're we're struggling with right now? I'm I'm in a hotel here because I'm up in Fort Mac traveling to listen to people and everywhere I've been going, the 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 big uh, kind of united theme was uh, wanting to make sure that the system can work for patients. We're struggling with our capacity in the hospitals and our care there. And, and of course, across the province, struggling to get people into their family medicine specialists in there and primary care. So the biggest piece everybody almost unanimously has said is that if we don't have physician input, if we don't have healthcare care workers saying how this is going to work and how it's going to actually work for patients, then we're doomed. I got a, a great email from Brinley uh, who said, you know, I, I get that they think that, you know, they being the government think that Alberta Health Services is trying to do too much, that it's spread too thin and getting bloated. But I have little faith in an innovation council to do the heavy lifting of integration. They've stated goals and principles, but no insight as to how they'll actually accomplish them. Uh, integration council, she says, the whole thing is premature. If they don't have the how figured out, then they shouldn't be prescribing the what. Uh, that was an email from Brindley. Is, is that something along the lines of maybe where your members are feeling? Oh, that, that would echo, yes, uh, definitely uh, consistent. Uh, you know, like, again, this is just a structure. So I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I've been t- discussing directly with the Minister of Health and Government saying exactly what I just said and what you're hearing. If, if we don't have the AMA at a high level, physicians, physicians are the common thread in all those organizations. Of course, the patient is as well. But I'll tell you that the physicians, uh, if that input isn't in there, uh, it, it won't work. The, the what piece is the critical. How is this operationalized? How is this implemented? And if the goal is uh, more more integration and making the system seem, work seamless, for example, all the care in the community, integrating it with hap- what happens in the hospitals, that has been a disconnect we're struggling with. If the goal is to integrate that and make it more seamless, that 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 is what we want to help with. And that's what we want to co-design. If it is more fragmentation, more bureaucracy, more red type tape, uh, there's no healthcare workers I'm meeting that want that. And there's no Albertans I'm meeting that want that. And I think I've heard from the government they don't want that either. Dr. Parks, I, I can't remember how many interviews we did uh, through the pandemic. It was a stressful time for everybody, but I probably don't have to remind you nor anybody watching or listening to this show that there was a combative and strained relationship between Alberta doctors and the provincial government. Who will forget a former health minister standing at the end of a driveway of a physician having a physical confrontation that basically started the unraveling of that minister's political career? How would you describe the relationship between Alberta's doctors and the health ministry, Alberta's doctors, and the Alberta government right now? So I would frame exactly what you just said in the past. I've never seen it worse. I've never seen 
the government tearing up a contract, making unilateral decisions. Why we're here right now discussing how bad it is in family medicine, for example, that government made unilateral changes, like didn't talk to anyone. And, and it, it it amounted to about a 40, 30, 40 percent pay cut for family physicians in the province in the heart of a pandemic. I can't tell you how bad that was. And and right now we're living with that because the, the colleagues I'm seeing across the province have no, you know, they, they don't feel valued, they don't feel respected, and they don't feel trusted. So what I can tell you now is my working with the minister, talking to the government, I hear a firm commitment, they're going to work with us, they value us, that they want, uh, they need physicians, we need to retain what we have right now, we need to recruit more, we need to regain that Alberta advantage. And so the one thing I've been blunt with the minister, respectfully saying, listen, you, you can, words are, words are worth you know, not very much in this environment where where the morale is low and and trust is low. So it's action we need. We need that follow up on the uh, the memorandum of understanding around stabilizing family medicine. We need uh, you know investments in critical pieces quickly now. We need to get some work done. And the minister has committed that. And I, we have a much better relationship. Uh, it's night and day from that previous relationship. So I have some optimistic optimism, but. I'll just sum up saying words are, you know, worth so much. It's it's action. We need action now. For sure. my members. Yeah, and, and everybody's kind of in a wait and see mode right now. You're you're not gonna meet a lot of people that will that will argue that that the healthcare system's seamless and flawless and perfect. I mean, I said yesterday on the show, looking for efficiencies is a good thing. Um, I appreciated this email that I read earlier from Crystal that she, she said, until I've heard more perspectives, I'm reserving judgment. I think she's cautiously optimistic, but she has her concerns as well. Hey, let me ask you this. I, I told the minister I was going to ask about this, a tweet from her account, uh, Adriana LaGrange yesterday. Thank you, Dr. Paul Parks, she says, and the AMA for your support and for working with us as we start this process to refocus our public funded healthcare system on patient-centered care. Somebody specifically asked me to ask you about the wording of that tweet. Uh, what did you think when you saw it? Well, so I, you know, obviously I can't control what the minister tweets, but I can say I, I, I support the uh, message in there and, and the, the tone of the, uh, the fact of that. I take that as a signal that the minister's promising Albertans that she's going to work with the AMA, going to work with physicians and actually going to uh, change the relationship and do this. So I take this as I had the opportunity in the last couple of days to meet directly with the minister and say, this restructuring, the system is so fragile. Uh, you know, everything is so tenuous right now. And we really are struggling in the healthcare system. So if, if you are going to try to make meaningful change, work with us, work with me, work with the profession uh, and, and show that it's going to be different. So you know, I, I again have said, and I'll say it, I'll, I take heat from the members from that tweet as well, because the big part that I've said again and again is now we have to show real action. We have to show meaningful change as opposed to just tweeting that we're going to work together. Um, and that's what I'm committed to. And, and that's what I hope that the minister is saying in that tweet. All right, uh, Doc, I don't have to tell you, you have a meeting starting in two minutes. So, I'll, so I'll, and you and I will speak again, but but let me just wrap with this. Uh, you talk about privatization. If you heard my conversation with the minister, she was very quick to say we're not privatizing anything. She was adamant on it. Some people are going, well, the devil's in the details, or some people are going, we're obfuscating this story. But big picture, uh, we're going to be talking to a family physician coming up this next Tuesday. He's shutting down his practice. He's a young guy. He's closing his practice in Hinton. Uh, he says that financially and for his own mental health he's got to do it that he's not the only one in the province that's made that decision we know that the model across canada in particular in alberta i saw it work because i'm the son of a family physician they are doctors first and entrepreneurs second they are running their own business 
I'm just curious for your general thoughts. The question, a little bit general on purpose. When we talk about privatization, when we talk about the business of healthcare, what do we need to do? What's one change you'd like to see to make it more palatable, more attractive, more sustainable for doctors without compromising patient care, keeping everybody's minds at ease, so to speak? Yeah, I hear you. And I got time for you. And I, I want to chat with you more because I actually think it's really critical that Albertans understand that what some of these big issues we're talking about. And um, so you, there was a couple questions in there and one big one. And, and I'll unpack one thing I'll say. You're absolutely right. Talking to family physicians across the province now. One of the things I think that gets missed a bit and we got to do better explaining is they are small business owners. They own small businesses that are they have staff, they have overhead, they have the office. Um, as they add team members to try to do their bet their business uh, better in terms of seeing more patients and helping patients, it's more cost uh, across the board. I've been hearing that over uh, you know the fee for service schedule and and not keeping up with inflation and the way it drives the um, funding of the physicians has is broken. It does not work. They cannot make these small businesses work. So that's one of the first things we told the minister and, and have agreement on the memorandum of understanding is saying we need to inject some real money to stabilize those small businesses and and then and then actually transform so that they can build teams and do better for uh, Albertans. And so that piece right there is the most important thing to focus on right now over the restructuring. Because if we don't keep our physicians, don't keep our family physicians, we'll have nothing to restructure around. And then the other piece I'll tell you around bigger pictures around the privatization thing, I'll just say this, I think this government, this premier and this minister uh, learned from the disaster of Dynalife and, and the privatization of critical components of the healthcare system and went and had to go back and spend a lot of money to publicly fund and do it right. Uh, I mean, my concern would be that same thing on long-term care, for example, what's happening there around private and, and public uh, you know, facilities and how the funding's going. So happy to chat in bigger and longer terms on all of this because it's critical. And, and in the end, I just want Albertans to hear that if, if we don't get that funding right for the, for the family physicians that are trying to do these small businesses, we, we won't have any left in this province. It's not a threat. It's just the reality. They, they, they can vote with their feet. They can either leave the province or they can do any other type of health care that isn't longitudinal, comprehensive family medicine. So, so that's, that's the piece I want to function. I want to focus on uh, the restructuring over the next year will take some time, of course, but the, 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 the retaining and stabilizing the system right now, retaining our workforce and stabilizing, that's the critical piece. And I think the minister agrees. I, I think we're, we got some work to do. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the, the lab sale and kind of walking that back and like timing wise and optically, you understand why people, in particular critics of the government that were in that position before, are now going, well, look what just happened. Like, look what just happened. And that's one thing. And, and now we're talking about basically blowing up the system and starting fresh. Now, I'm kind of standing where, where that emailer was, like saying, I'm, I'm reserving judgment on this right now. And that was the theme of mine my comments and my initial thoughts yesterday is like the system. And I, I try not to be like the doomsday prophet or the sky is falling guy, but I do think it's fair to say the system is broken. It's not an indictment of workers. I'm just looking at the mental health status of, of everyone from, from those that are on ambulances every single day to the surgeons, to the speech pathologists, to everybody that's been, been strained and stressed over the years. We understand that the stakes have arguably never been higher, but if you're not open to changing things in a big way, then how do you ever expect to see big change? So that's kind of where I'm at right now. But I understand the crisis of confidence. 
I understand that some people feel like they're being manipulated, that they don't necessarily trust this government. I mean, it's maybe one case study, but the, the story of I, I, I laughed out loud when I saw it called Trilanol, but the Turkish Tylenol, uh, you know, people say, well, listen, it, it, we went out, we tried to do it. It didn't make sense. It didn't align with where everything else was coming. We didn't even use the shipment. It was a waste of 80 million dollars. Now we're talking about a budget like the minister just said to us over 26 billion dollars. So I get it. Uh, but at the same time, we got to look at a system and be willing uh, to make calculated, informed, evidence-based, expert-advised risks or big moves if we want to move this thing forward and find a more efficient system, right? I couldn't agree more. And again, that's what I'll say. So I'm an emergency physician. I, I, I work right in this interface of whatever's broken in the healthcare system. I see it every day in my job. And what I mean by broken, too, is people are trying really hard to get care to patients, but but the system isn't necessarily working properly. And uh, and, and I couldn't agree more with your summary of that. What I'll say again and again, I've said it to the premier, I've said it to the minister, I've said it to anyone that'll listen, is that if if they try to do big re, you know reorganization and operations unilaterally and don't have the expert input, don't speak to you know people like myself and my colleagues. I'm not going to pretend I have every answer, but I definitely have connections through the AMA with all of the people that are doing this care, that are the experts, that are on the front lines. And we've heard the premier say again and again and again, we want local decisions be made by the local experts. I think that's an excellent uh, idea. The key, though, is that if they if they create policy that doesn't involve the people that are doing that, uh, then it's going to fail. And that I think that's where we're living in the last four or five years, that that's what happened. That's that's what we've been living through. So the piece that I'll be optimistic, I get that there's not a lot of trust. I get that until we start to see some real change, people are going to be still be like angry or, or you know, uh, uh, mistrustful but the the piece that i'll say is that we have an opportunity here that if the minister and government really will work with us really will listen to the uh, you know the experts uh we have an opportunity to make some of the change that albertans know it wasn't working as well as it could be for them so we have a, cha- a chance to make this better for patients and and that's why that's why we're here we're healthcare workers we want to help sick patients help them through that journey so we have an opportunity here Dr. Parks, I hope uh, we haven't gotten you in trouble for for showing up five minutes late to your next meeting, but we sure appreciate your availability. And let me reiterate, we've said as much to your team. The door is always open. I'm envisioning maybe a roundtable here in studio. We'll make that happen over the next few weeks or months. Uh, absolutely happy. I, I truly believe we got to talk more about this. We got to work together, too. Uh, that, I mean, uh, that's not blowing smoke like we got to. We got to connect with the the big groups and work together. And I think Albertans need to understand what those kind of concepts that we're talking about right now. You got it. That's Dr. Paul Parks. Thanks, Doc. Uh, checking in live from Fort McMurray on the road, talking to people. He's the president of the Alberta Medical Association. You can check them out online. And uh, as I say that, John, I realize I don't have their website called up. Let's find out what it is. Alberta Medical Association. Good thing we pay for rocket fast internet, pal. It's albertadoctors.org. That's where you can learn more about their membership, some of their advocacy, uh, including a recent post uh, that was just uh, yesterday, uh, local doctors, local issues. Pardon me, that was posted this morning. Uh, So up to the minute from the Alberta Medical Association, that's Alberta's doctors. Lots going on on the live chat. I, I, I haven't even, I mean, it's it's hard to, it looks like a stock ticker. It looks like when you're, you're like in the sports bar and the scores are just ricketing, you know, by <laughs> I mean, everybody's got something to say on this, which is amazing. Um, Noob Try Again says, I know workers in the healthcare system. The system is broken. The workers on the ground level are not the broken part of it. Uh, if these are not the people that the government's talking to, then it's going to fail. 
that from Noob. I mean, some of them, you know what, uh, not to put it uh, lightly, I don't take this lightly at all. Some of them, if they were honest with you, uh, if, if they stepped out of beast mode, if they stepped out of the trenches and you started talking to them like they're just regular human beings and asked them how they're doing, some of them you might see that lip quiver. Uh, because while they would never say that they're broken, I know that uh, they're working as hard as they can, burning the candle at both ends, and we see that. Um, Bunny Slippers says we need at least four new hospitals now to cover our current population. You know, you got to open up spots in universities. You got to stop fighting with professionals who know what they're doing. That from Bunny. I don't necessarily pick up on a combative tone uh, from the health minister or the premier, but I, I mean, at least not even close uh, to the Kenny government uh with health minister tyler shandro i mean that was a nightmare that was a disaster that was like active antagonizing uh basically i think due to kenny's comms team which have all been reassigned none of them working in politics anymore but i digress uh david says listen if you want less interference then you privatize he says i'm not saying that i agree with doing that but there would be less government interference you let the free market work i don't know i mean here's here's a fair question and i've put cards on the table on this show before um i don't see and you already know this i talked about it yesterday i'm not going to spend too much time on it right now but i don't see like privatization it's like it it is a big boogeyman type word but we got to look at some solutions like you know physicians family physicians are private operators right now chiropractors dentists physiotherapists there's tons of them even the elective surgeon the elective surgeries that the the health minister kind of hooked onto there for a quick second so you know but when it comes to privatization like who's overseeing it all like there's got to be quality standards. Like there's got to be administration there. There's got to be oversight, supervision. It's not like a, a private operator. And while the health minister says that's not happening, I mean, we'll see what happens in 18 to 24 months. But who's overlooking that all? And by the way, how much does that cost to administer that oversight, that supervision? Shauna says, ideally, the input of staff should have come before the restructuring, for sure. Uh, you also wonder if maybe this is kind of like happening on the fly as it goes i mean was was the government announcement yesterday prompted or fast-tracked by the leak of the documents by the ndp i don't know i mean i asked yesterday my wife was shaking her head at me she's like what are you a conspiracy theorist i i wondered yesterday i mean did the government leak the documents to the ndp it's possible well i was seeing some of that on twitter you know you never know like maybe they just wanted to uh, get people talking about it yeah. I, I thought that may have may have happened for sure carrie says to me why why would the government do that i said i don't know maybe to maybe to create a little bit of buzz or interest bef- before the announcement but you don't really necessarily need to work very hard to create interest when you're talking about blowing up yeah. the healthcare system well, i mean the- wasn't there some leaks uh, earlier during the election too about what danielle plan to do and i think i think those were like eh, this looks like the government kind of yeah, man pushed we get, them out. i mean we get well and of course that's because like when you have a new leader coming in she doesn't have the full she wasn't the front runner no. when danielle smith ran i mean you have to assume i think it's safe to say that the finance minister at the time travis taves was the front runner mm-hmm. right danielle smith was kind of coming in with her own crew like with her own group with mm-hmm. her own support um and then had to i think convince and and, and again um no slight on Daniel Smith, but like kind of barely won the leadership. It yeah. wasn't like first ballot, 85% walked everybody else out the room. That's not the way it was. No. And so you had people, conservatives, including cabinet ministers, that didn't want to see her win. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, shows like us, I mean, we get brown envelopes all the time. <laughs> people wouldn't believe where some of the stuff is from. And we would go to jail to protect our sources. And, and good, so you're never going to hear. Good card to play, too. If you're you know, wanting to get into government like UC, or Daniel Smith and the UCP was, just to see what people say. And then if they don't like it, 
when you come out with your policy. No, mm. that's not what we're going to do at all. Here it is, actually, right? Deborah says, I, I, I find a lot of this commentary very sad. When you divide the healthcare system, you push those less fortunate to the end of the line. I guess that's fine if you have the money, but if you don't, uh, Deborah, I felt like the health minister was sort of trying to speak to that perspective. I think that's obviously a lot of people's concerns when you start talking about access to surgeries, what money can get you. There's also kind of a cold-hearted and calloused reality that in life, and I get, this is an unpopular thing, this is an unpopular thing to say, but it's real talk. Like In a lot of other areas, that's kind of how life works. It's kind of how life goes. Mm. Not everybody goes on the same vacations. Not everybody eats the same yeah. thing for dinner. Not everybody drives the same car. Not everybody wears the same shoes. Now, now, if you try to take, can you imagine a politician standing at a podium and delivering that as their <laughs> approach or perspective on healthcare? It yeah. would never fly, but... I mean, if you believe that private schools should be outlawed, that there should be no such thing, yeah. uh, you feel one way. If you believe that if you have the money, if you have the privilege, if you've worked hard, you have the means, the resources, and you want to send your kids sure. in grade three to a school that's $45,000 a year, you should be able to do that. Sure. And we talked about this yesterday. I think the UCP thinking is that if some people elect to have surgery and want to pay for it, they'll get out of the way for people who want it, who are in line, who maybe don't have the same amount of funds. But as you said, yesterday isn't that already happening like aren't there people already going down to phoenix going down to all other the places time toronto mexico yeah. arizona like so we'll absolutely. have to see if it does anything yeah and uh and and i don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that mm. um, there is an argument that you know you could attract and and again rachel notley when i pitched this idea to her a few months ago remember we made her quote the thumbnail on you. What did she say? Something like that is a preposterous. That is, she didn't say idiotic, but she was like, that is a ridiculous question. Ridiculously. She just fired right back at yeah. me. Uh, but I said to her, you know, I was sort of like, I was like, work with me, Ms. Notley, work with me here on this idea. Do you think if Alberta was a little bit more open for business on like the surgical front, mm -hmm. allowed for some of these gray area, I mean, you'd have to change legislation, these clinics where people could have surgeries. Would you attract more entrepreneurs, attract more investment, attract more skilled surgeons? Well, and she, sense she just yes, looked at right? me. She looked at me like I was proposing <laughs> strapping ourselves to a rocket yeah. to get to the moon she just thought it was the worst idea of all time yeah. uh, but again this comes back to me as a civilian suggesting which i think is is something we can all agree on i hope that there are deficiencies in the healthcare system that need to be addressed and we're not going to address them if we don't look for solutions that don't already exist as part of our standard operating procedures like that's kind of the basic starting point where i see this from um, Alberta girl says Ed Stelmack, former premier rolled everything into this AHS monster. So nobody could claim inefficiency. This is nothing but another change for the sake of change. This is a shell game. I mean, it's huge shells. If that's the case, huge shells. Frank says this, this decoupling, uh, reeks of piecing out portions of the system to sell off easier than the entire thing as one. Frank says this is the same thing that large corporations do. Anybody that's been watching the morning show knows exactly what we're talking about with UBN, right? Great exactly. Show. Great show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alberta girl goes on to say private clinics, pull the doctors out of the hospitals where they have earning limits. 
you can let us know what you think on this. Uh, obviously, this is something that, that we're going to be talking about for, for a long time. Um, you can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If you are Chris in Calgary, uh, Calgary Chris, that is, and you're going, are you kidding me? My email didn't make it into today's show. Hey, pal, that's because we have you headlining the flamethrower tomorrow presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Every Friday on the show, we ask you to basically turn up the heat, air your beef and give us your flamethrower to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Your chance to blow off a little steam courtesy of the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount and Baseline Road. Uh, We're going to turn the page in just a quick second. Why? Because we're going to take a look at the best place to put a solar farm. This is another huge Alberta political story. Remember this, the wind and solar, the renewables moratorium. Well, in the newest issue of Alberta Views magazine, Dr. Ian Urquhart has a great piece. Uh, The lesson, it's like a tale of two farms, essentially. The lesson of two proposed renewables projects. We're going to take a look at where to put a solar farm. You can find that at albertaviews.ca and that's coming up in less than two minutes. But first, I want to tell you what sets Complete Care Restoration apart from all of their competitors. I mean, aside from the fact that none of their competitors built our ball in studio in the historic Mercer Warehouse, they've got the bragging rights to that. Problem solving and everything. They fixed a water leak. They straightened out a few edges. They did an absolutely beautiful job. But they're a full-service disaster restoration contractor, which means they can do fire, uh, smoke and odor remediation, water damage fixes, wind and hail, hazardous material removal, uh, asbestos abatement, mold remediation, as well as some of the tougher stuff, trauma scene cleanup, personal contents restoration. They've done it all over the last 10 years as a grassroots family-owned business. They started in a garage 10 years ago, and they've built up to one of the bigger service providers in the province. Now, why should you choose them? Because their team was founded on the principle of providing above-the-norm levels of customer service and attention, and we've seen it firsthand. If disaster strikes in your world... Trust me, with two thumbs up, I recommend Complete Care Restoration. And as we're going to be talking about improving our renewable front, improving green energy, finding solutions, we're obviously going to remind you how proud we are to partner with Kubi Renewable Energy. You know, they're looking for project managers in Edmonton and Calgary right now, plus looking for electricians to add to those crews in both of the major cities in Alberta. Whether you're a veteran journey person or just starting out as an apprentice electrician, Kubi wants you and your skills on their team. You can check out their website, kubienergy.ca, and find a position that's right for you. Join Kubi in their mission to offer the best client experience in the business and help build a more sustainable tomorrow. Check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca. Dr. Ian Urquhart I mean, knows solar so much so that he was the one that Alberta Views tapped on the shoulder for this new feature in the November issue of the magazine, where to put a solar farm. Obviously, Albertans have been paying more attention to renewables uh, as of late because of Uh, The Daniel Smith-led government's decision to press pause on all major wind and solar projects for the next number of months. When they implemented it, it was about seven months. We're about two months into it. It sent ripples through the industry, but it's also got people wondering about what the future of solar might look like in Alberta. Up until that point, people probably didn't realize that Alberta was a leader in renewables. Dr. Ian Urquhart, our guest on this Thursday morning. Hey, man, when somebody's willing... 
to shuffle up their schedule and have their interview bumped last minute so we can accommodate an interview with the minister. They deserve recognition and credit right off the top. So I want to convey my appreciation to you. Welcome to the show, Ian. Uh, thanks very much, Ryan. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, people want to know uh, when people are taking an expert position or talking to us about something pretty significant, what's their background like? How long have you been paying attention to renewables? How does that fit into your professional career? Oh, I probably for decades now. I, I think the first time I started to look at renewables was when I was uh, writing about climate change uh, back for the Parkland Institute. God, I don't even know when that was. That was when we talked about something called the Kyoto Protocol, which was a lifetime, which was a lifetime ago. So I've always been following uh, with respect to energy and environment, always been interested in renewables because, uh, I mean, I believe like most of the world does that uh, in order to uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, uh, renewables are going to play a a crucial role, uh, especially perhaps with respect to electricity. Well, I'll let everybody know you're you're a professor emeritus uh, of political science at the University of Alberta. And, and during more than three decades at that institution, you specialized in studying energy policy. You've been published a ton on subjects like climate change in the oil sense. So you come to this from a, certainly a fulsome understanding. Uh, let's jump into the piece in Alberta Views. It's, it's like a tale of two farms, right? We're talking about, for people that don't know, the Saddlebrook and the Foothills Solar Arrays. Can you take us into this story? Sure. Uh, exactly. Uh, the I've had a, so from this longstanding interest in energy and environment. One of the questions that I think is a really important one for address to address is uh, how can we increase our supply of green electricity, but do so in a way that respects other values, that respects other land use values, for example. Uh, and so I pitched this to Evan Austin in Alberta Views back in back in April, months before the moratorium and suggested, look, we can look at these two renewable, utility-scale renewable energy projects. Saddlebrook, which is a TC energy project uh, just north of High River, uh, which is sited on uh, industrial land, uh, what I'll call brownfields here, uh, and also looked at uh, the Foothills uh, project, which was rejected by the Alberta Utilities Commission, and that was going to be situated on farmland that encompassed and was just adjacent to Frank Lake, just east of just east of High River. So I wanted to look at these two these two decisions to see, look, what do they tell us about the possibility of getting more renewable electricity production, but at the same time protecting other important land use values such as protected areas and such as and such as farmland. So um, the the bottom line was uh, Saddlebrook was a very non-controversial proposal. The AUC approved it right away. The MD of High River had no objections to the project whatsoever. Um, and it is now uh, up and running uh, north of north of High River. Foothills, on the other hand, was rejected. And it was rejected because it sits within that project, the Elemental Energy Project, sits within uh, an important bird area, important bird and diversity area east of High River. And the AUC decided that the environmental risks associated with this project were just too great. Uh, and as a consequence, rejected the, the, the project altogether. High River, the, the pardon me, Foothills County for its part, uh, also made a farmland argument uh, before the AUC and said, look, 
this elemental energy project is going on what is for us prime agricultural land and we don't want to see it and we don't want to see it here uh so you have these so it's a tale of a tale of two projects one approved by the AUC on industrial land the other rejected by the AUC which was going to be located on farmland that also um, that also served very important environmental purposes. So I think, you know, bottom line here, I think this 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 shows us a way ahead. Uh, and uh, well, it says several things. One, I don't think the regulatory system is nearly as broken as the premier's moratorium would suggest. But secondly, I think what it shows us is that, look, we have in Alberta, <laughs> Uh, a wealth of many things, including brownfields, including uh, former oil and gas sites, for example, uh, that would be prime candidates for locating smaller, uh, smaller solar uh, farms, smaller solar projects. So I think that you know the the bottom line is we can have both. I mean, we can have uh, renewable energy. Uh, but we can also do so in a way that protects other values like agriculture, like environment and what we have to do is focus on brownfields we have to focus on those areas that have already tested or tasted pardon me uh, industrial activity and focus our attention on establishing these facilities on those sorts of sites so I, I, what i'm picking up from you mostly because you spelled it out this way is that the regulator here, the AUC, is is not in as chaotic a state as some of the dialogue may have suggested, because we were getting the impression when, when we talked to, for example, uh, Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz about this decision, we got the impression, not putting words in her mouth, but the impression that basically this was the Wild West, that people were putting yeah. up solar farms wherever they wanted, that neighbors were appalled, that they were seeing huge panels go in and blocking their views of the mountains. It, it sounds to me like you're saying the system's working. You know, Ryan, I mean, look, th there's no perfect regulatory system, uh, and unless I design it. Right, uh, right, of, of course, yeah. And since I haven't done that yet, uh, when you look at the regulatory system, I think there certainly there are improvements that could be made to it. But I do think on balance that the, the sorts of objections we've seen and justifications from the province for this moratorium hold no water, hold no water. They're rubbish. So it, with respect to the, if the minister said that, I mean, with respect to that particular point, I'd look, for example, at all the regulatory decisions that the AUC had made between 2019 and July of 2023. This is the period when we're starting to experience the boom in renewables. So I looked at all those decisions and what I was concerned about and what I wanted to find out was, I mean, how often do municipalities actually try to appear before the AUC to make their arguments? And the answer was seldom. 77 applications. Only on 11 occasions did rural municipalities apply to the AUC to make their case about these particular projects. And in only two instances, the Foothills project that the AUC rejected and the Vauxhall project in the MD of Tabor, in only two instances, did municipalities offer categorical opposition to solar or wind? So, I mean, this notion that uh, that the minister that the minister is suggesting about people up in arms, uh, look at the regulatory record, and uh, it's it, it 
it holds no water. It, it is frankly rubbish to suggest that. Okay. So let me, I mean, I haven't even asked you this pointed question yet. Like what's your take on the moratorium? What's your, I was talking to, uh, and, and he said I could go on the record with this. I mean, I mentioned Kubi Energy uh, before this, the CEO, Jake Kubiski, and, and he was, uh, you know, I said, how do you feel about the moratorium? He goes, honestly, like, it doesn't affect us. He goes, we're smaller operators. It's not really what we do for him. It was actually a silver lining. He says a lot of the installers that have been laid off are now working for us. So it, it trickled down and, and helped out the smaller or more residential commercial operators like Kubi. He goes, but you know, who's going to be really pissed is, is like the big construction companies that are building these big solar farms. There's obviously ripple effects on the economy on things like attracting talent to Alberta, which, which seems to, to, to go counter to what you would expect a conservative government to do. Like, where's your head at on it? Well, exactly. I mean, is this a, is this a government that believes in business and that believes that um, business that's generating, you know, thousands of jobs and, and, and millions of dollars in investment, not to mention uh, the, 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 the taxes that the utility scale projects deliver to rural municipalities, not to mention the lease payments that go to farmers from these activities. Uh, we, you know, we have, this, we have this situation where this government, this supposedly conservative free enterprise government is saying, no, 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 we're, you know, we're, 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 we're halting that now. And I think when you look at the industry as a whole, I mean, I think for, for, some, for some companies, those that say maybe specialized with respect to residential rooftop solar, that sort of thing, this might be, you know, th this might be a good breathing space for them. They might be able to attract talent that they otherwise wouldn't have. But I do think that the problem that something like this creates, and I do think it's an unnecessary problem, problem. There's no reason. So the problem that gets created here is the fact that companies have been proceeding on the assumption that they would go through the regulatory process uh, and then be able to yeah, and then get the decision. Take, for example, the airport solar project uh, that is uh, in Leduc, in Leduc County, just south of Edmonton International. That particular project had finished the regulatory process, had gone through the hearing process, and then got hit with the moratorium. So for that, you know, it's not a, they have to wait seven months for an approval that would have, under business's usual conditions, that they would have received in August. So for those sorts of projects, you know, they, that I think represents a significant cost to those to those to those businesses. Doctor, uh, we're talking to Dr. Ian Urquhart. If you're just joining us, Professor Emeritus at the University of Alberta and Alberta Views contributor, you can read his piece in the November issue of the magazine. And of course, we're going to remind you how you can subscribe to that at 50% off uh, a special offer for real talkers in just a moment. But but it's also available online, albertaviews.ca. And, and I want to ask you about this, this, this photo of an orphan well site in southern Alberta that's now it's called a bright field. Is that right? With solar panels. Just to clarify, this would have been like, has this been remediated? Like, is this we're, we're not talking about just like leaving orphan well sites in in dirty status, uh, sort of like eschewing our concerns and installing a bunch of panels, are we? No, uh, no. In, in the case of so I'm, I'm really glad you brought up uh, Renewell because, I mean, this is. Yeah, I think they are part of the solution. I think they are part of the, they should be part of the future. 
of solar in a province like Alberta? Uh, and, and so the, the short answer is no, that they that these sorts of um, the renewal projects in uh, the MD of Tabor, um, they cannot have any contamination on the land on these brownfield sites that they are uh, erecting their solar arrays. So there is no so there, there should not be any contamination of land on these uh, on these two orphan well sites that uh, Renewal has developed this pilot project on in uh, in the MD of Tabor. Um, brownfields, I mean, brownfields, as I said earlier, I mean, they, they essentially refer to you know, uh, lands like uh, well sites that have already tasted industrial activity in the past. Uh, the, the, the term brown, bright fields was uh, coined by uh, former President Bill Clinton in the US to describe what he was, what he and his administration hoped would happen, and that would be to establish a policy and a regulatory framework that would enable solar developers to take those brownfields and convert them into bright fields, sources of electric sources of electricity. But you know, the, the, instead of the professorial ramble here, Ryan, I mean, the short answer to your question is that those pilot projects and the that Renewal is uh, responsible for in southern Alberta. Uh, there is no contaminated land involved in those projects at all. Okay, where do you stand on on this? This um, you know, the, the federal government and Alberta's provincial government do not see eye to eye, to say the very least, on the pace. Uh, at which Alberta can achieve a net zero electricity grid. And we've had some people on the show, Jenny Yeremy, a, a, a geophysicist that joined us last week. I encourage people to check out that interview. She, she's absolutely bullish. She didn't hesitate for a split second when I asked her if 2035 was doable. She said, absolutely. You then talk to the provincial government. They say, no, uh, they, they haven't said 2050. They're going to yeah, like 2045. We're on pace. We're open to it. Uh, but Danielle Smith, of course, called it a fantasy, uh, famously at a Pembina Institute hosted climate conference in Calgary last week. What do you think? Well, look, I think it's a, I think it's really difficult to predict. I mean, this is not, you know, it's really difficult to predict, but I think when you look at the history, this technology, uh, solar has been evolving so rapidly and the costs have been coming down so rapidly that, you know, the, the future that people imagined in say 2009 um, as being possible maybe 20, 30 years from now is already here. So uh, for instance here, Ryan, would be this, that the costs of solar, of you know the solar modules that you see on the screen right now, the costs of those modules have dropped by 80% in a decade's time. Now this, so what does that mean for the debate about 2035? I think what it means about the debate for 2035 is that if those sorts of trends continue or, or if they accelerate, then is it going to be doable? Absolutely, it's going to be doable by that, by that point in time. As more of these projects come online, what we're going to see and we are seeing now is more interest in the developers in terms of battery storage projects mm -hmm. to try to store some of that renewable electricity for a time when the grid needs it needs it more than um, than at the time it's gathered. So, you know, with respect to the, the war that that is going on between Ottawa and Alberta about 2035, um, it's, it, it's very difficult to predict, but unless you live in the past, as I think this government, this provincial government does, 
you have to be optimistic about the way technology and costs have evolved in this industry. And they're going to evolve in a way that is going to make that possible. One of the things, you know, we, we really are in Alberta, we have really experienced a revolution in electricity generation over the past, you know, five to five to eight years. And what we've seen during that point in time is the amount of investment going into, say, natural gas plants to provide electricity dropped dramatically, had nothing to do with Ottawa. Ottawa had nothing to do with that. But the investment has been going instead into renewables and, and, and solar at this point in time is leading that is leading that charge. So, you know, do I think it's doable? Uh, absolutely, I think it's doable. Um, but I don't, and, and it might, who knows, it could even come sooner with some of the technological changes that we've seen. But, but imagine anything where you've seen the cost of, of the key component drop by 80% in a decade's time. I mean, that's, that's stunning. It's, it's revolutionary. But, but like, so I'll represent the layperson's perspective here. You're, you're saying that like this government and, um, and even the BC government to a certain degree, but certainly Alberta more so is like natural gas, natural gas, natural gas. We need to get our natural gas to Asia. We need LNG pipelines. Uh, maybe not entirely the same argument, but, but still uh, very bullish on natural gas. Um, but you're telling me that industry, like when we're talking about tens of billions of dollars in investment, uh, accountability to shareholders, uh, you know, a, a, a KPIs, profit right at the top of the list, et cetera, et cetera. You're saying that's not where industry's at. Uh, am I perceiving this? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically I, I think that's basically it. I mean, essentially what I'm saying is that, look, when, when, you, when it comes to electricity and investments in the electricity sector in Alberta, We've seen a revolutionary change that was, uh, I think, initiated by uh, the Notley governments and its renewable energy uh, program that it introduced in 2015. But what we've seen in that time, so in 2015, most of the investment money in the electricity sector in Alberta was going into natural gas okay, to replace coal. But that's not the situation at all today. The situation before the moratorium was one where investors, you know, those in the electricity business were putting their money into renewables, much more money into renewables. And I can underline it with this figure. You know, so in 2015, uh, how, how many utility scale um, uh, solar projects did we have in Alberta? And, and how many hundreds of millions of dollars are being invested in that? Well, the answer was none. There, there was none. The Alberta government's own figures about major projects suggested several months ago that over $8 billion was earmarked for solar investment in Alberta. So this is the industry. I mean, th this is the industry saying this is where the future is. It's not, you know, it's not greenies. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a fantasy world as the premier might imagine it to be. It's industry that's making these decisions and industry that's making these choices. Uh, I appreciate what Daily BMJ is bringing into our live chat here because this is how real people talk. Like this is a real point that this person makes says my only regret in my solar experience is not doing it sooner. So obviously this is someone who's who's done it, who's integrated it, but goes on to say and I believe that the moratorium is dumb, but the idea that solar could replace oil and gas is ludicrous. Um 
I have these conversations with my friends all the time, and I go, well, nobody's talking about necessarily replacing it, but I'd rather have you speak to that, doctor. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, and you're right, Ryan. I mean, this isn't about replacing it. I mean, what what is it? What it is about is looking at different sectors of our economy and trying to see, well, you know, what place does renew? What place do renewables have in the electricity sector? What place do renewables have in the transportation sector? So, I, I mean, I think that person's right in the sense that uh, do I see the, the disappearance of fossil fuels? in the transportation sector in the next 20 years. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But what we have to realize and appreciate is that in the electricity sector in Alberta, we saw a dramatic reduction, 51% reduction between 2015 and 2021 in greenhouse gas emissions from the electricity sector. Why? Because A, we moved away from coal, into natural gas to a degree, but also into renewables. So, you know, so could renewables replace uh, oil and gas with respect to electricity? I think the answer is likely yes to that question. Uh, could renewables in the timeframes that we're looking at here 20 years replace oil and gas with respect to transportation. No, I don't think that's going to be the case the case at all. So I would encourage people to think about this in terms of different sectors of the economy and sort of what, you know, what place could this particular source of energy play in that sector and try to discriminate uh, between one sector and another with respect to what could happen. Ian, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mark Doran. Uh, he's he's with the Polluter Pay Federation. He's he's been on the show before, uh, a fierce advocate uh, uh, for for landowners, and I think for responsible energy development and, and remediation in the province. And he's in our live chat right now. So this is coming from somebody who's this is kind of his life's work. Uh, Mark says I'm not against using brownfield sites for solar. Uh, he says, but I am against landowners getting caught up in a future dispute between solar and oil and gas operators as to who is responsible. Is that a concern on your radar? Oh, I mean, I'll be uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Ryan and, and Mark as well. You know, I haven't. Uh, I have to think more about that. I mean, uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know um, um, to what extent the current situation, for example, with respect to reclamation obligations, would put landowners in that in that position. Where they would be caught between oil and gas on the one hand, and um, uh, and say solar developers on the other hand. So um, I'll have to I'll have to sort of take the fifth on that one, if you like, and uh, and 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 recognize that Mark's raised an important concern there, and one that I hope, in terms of things like the AUC inquiry that's going on, um, that sort of question will be uh, will be addressed. Uh, Doc, I just want to let you know, uh, you know, this doesn't happen all the time. There, there's apparently a whole bunch of your former students from the U of A that are in our live chat today, and they've got nothing but praise for you. So n nobody's ripping on you, e even even anonymously, which says something about the state of web comments these days. I guess congratulations to you. <laughs> well, you know, if you if you if you pay enough people off, Ryan, you'd be yeah. surprised. <laughs> you, 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 you bought enough coffees, did you? <laughs> Right, that's that's right. good stuff. Well, Ian, it's a real pleasure to connect with you, and uh, we're grateful to add you to our Real Talk roster. Uh, thanks for the expertise. Really nice job on the piece in Alberta Views, uh, the November issue, where to put a solar farm, and thanks for making time for us today. 
Thanks very much, Ryan. It's been a real pleasure. Take you care. You got it. That's Dr. Ian Urquhart. He's a professor emeritus at the University of Alberta. Friends, every time we feature a contributor to Alberta Views magazine, remember it was it was gambling last month that we talked about, Alberta's addiction, Alberta's ugly addiction to that. We're talking solar this week. We'll talk about a whole bunch of things throughout the year, and we wanted to let you know you can get Alberta Views delivered right to your door like Tracy just did. Tracy, we saw that in the live chat. She said she was so excited. Her issue just arrived in her mailbox. You can subscribe at albertaviews.ca using the promo code AVRJ. Just think Alberta Views, Ryan Jesperson. AVRJ at albertaviews.ca knocks 50% off a one-year subscription. You know what that means? It means you're getting 10 issues delivered to your door for $20. This is how you can support good, long-form investigative journalism and commentary in the province of Alberta and beyond. Obviously, they'll ship wherever. Albertaviews.ca, the promo code AVRJ. No-brainer. No-brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love it. We've got our, our, our copies of our issues of Alberta Views proudly displayed in our green room, and oh, I love yeah. that when we have guests kind of cool the premier was in the other day we saw her flipping through a copy of it yeah. when she was waiting to come in and talk so mm-hmm. that's always good to see um also wanted to remind you i mean i know that there's a lot of u of a uh, alumni that are watching and listening to the show right now because you're letting that be known in the chat you know the university of alberta alumni awards recognize the professional achievements community service and innovation of graduates around the globe and is one of the university's highest honors the awards acknowledge and celebrate those who have not only excelled in their careers but also made a profound difference in the lives of others Uh, because behind every successful graduate there's a story of determination innovation and change do you know an outstanding university of alberta alum have any of them inspired you we're looking for change makers world shapers status quo breakers so we can give them the recognition they deserve there's five different award categories you can check them out at uab.ca slash nominate that's uab.ca slash nominate our friends at california closets want to remind you that it's a perfect time of year to reach out to their design team for a consultation absolutely free that design consultation is where you can get started on exploring different ideas on how you could integrate custom closets systems and solutions for your entire home this could be a heritage home like ours that needed real help in the closets it could be a brand new build maybe your basement wasn't developed by the builder but now you're in a position to make that happen with a dream area showcase your collectibles get the kids organized with a craft closet maybe get your garage in order they do it all at california closets and you'll be blown away by the craftsmanship the experience and the affordability of it you can find them online today at californiaclosets.ca And we also wanted to remind you that we've got our backyard reveal available for you to check out at Carrie Skelton's Instagram profile. You know, she's my life partner, my better half. She's way better at social media than I am. Check out the Instagram reel that she recently posted on her account on Instagram at Carrie Skelton. You can see what our backyard looked like before Eden Landscaping got started. I'm so embarrassed about it. And then you can see what it looks like now. An incredible improvement. They worked with our budget. They took our vision. They turned it into reality. For us, that meant a space that the kids can play, a space that the dogs can go comfortably, but it'll still look fantastic. We can have our family campfires. We can spend some time in the hot tub. And finally, we can proudly entertain our friends. Those were our goals. Eden Landscaping made them happen. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
Great show today. Man, this show flew. Yeah. Nice to have the health minister. I saw somebody in the chat say it's great that Real Talk's booking these big interviews. You get Mm -hmm. the premier in here. We get senior cabinet ministers. Obviously, you have opposition members as well. We have experts in their fields. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. This isn't an echo chamber. You're going to get different perspectives. Uh, You're going to have informed questions. And then you you can make up your mind with the confidence that you're getting all of that information, but that doesn't happen without an engaged audience. And I appreciate somebody in the chat. I saw while we were talking to minister LaGrange said, let's get the education minister on. They've got some pointed questions for the education minister. I will say, and I'll give this government credit, very different than the conservative government before it. Mm -hmm. They're making themselves available for interviews. That was not the tone set by Jason Kenney previously. And we're grateful for it. We Mm -hmm. believe that with more conversation, more productivity happens. People's perspectives are more informed, and that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. We want to hear from them. Last yeah, guest was amazing. I Wasn't love he good, Ian Urquhart? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And uh, yeah, like I love how he said the future is already here. We keep saying, you know, 2050, 2060. Like Alberta, Ontario are already leaders in solar energy. It just seems ridiculous to, to try and cap that. And I understand the history of this province who we want to protect the industry that made us great oil and gas. But at the same time, it's, it'd be like putting a moratorium on, on hydro in Quebec or Ontario. Why yeah. would you do it? Yeah. We, we could be the leader. We're already close. I think Ontario is a little, little ahead of us, but I mean, why would you do it at all? It's, yeah. It just seems ridiculous. Well, to I'll me. let, uh, I'll let our audience know as well. And I don't want to reveal too much because it's not confirmed, but we're currently working on a real talk round table. I'm going to say it's going to happen in the next six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. We'll obviously give you lots of advance notice. This is a good reminder that you can go to our website. Johnny, let's just show it on the screen. If you go to ryanjesperson.com and you just scroll down to the bottom, if you haven't done this yet, uh, we know by the numbers that some of you have not done this yet. There's there's only about 3,000 people on our email list. We want to get that up to 30,000. Just scroll to the bottom of ryanjesperson.com and join our newsletter. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to send you junk. It's free to sign up. Once a week, you're going to get a note from us that just takes a look at some of the highlights tells you about some of the cool things that are happening off the show like our registration for our pond hockey classic that's opening up pretty quickly golf classic how you can get in on our limited release bourbons and things like that and then notes on what's coming up what we're working on and one of those projects is a real talk roundtable that's going to feature industry experts in hydrogen nuclear power Mm -hmm. and wind and solar we'll have one we'll have one voice on wind and solar Mm -hmm. because i want to make sure the other two are well represented but but how much do we actually know about alberta's future with hydrogen or or the future of nuclear generated power in alberta and and all the experts say the same thing and like our last guest said it's not about diminishing or getting rid of what we need as population increases globally, we need all the energy we, we, we can get. We need nuclear. We need hydro. We need hydrogen. We need oil. We need oil, natural gas. Yeah, <laughs> we need natural gas. We need all of it, right? It's all going to go into that big pie and and and, and trying to take a slice out. It yeah. just seems ridiculous. To well, me. we just want to be well positioned for the future, and that comes, you know, that includes grid stability, and it also includes jobs. It includes mm-hmm. jobs thirty years from now. What are we doing to make sure that that those jobs are there? Uh, love this from Justin in the chat. Justin says, I'm on the email list and I'm a recent Patreon subscriber. Yes. My man. He ah. says, I'm looking forward to the holiday perks. Justin must have gone to RyanJesperson.com. He probably clicked on connect. Amazing. And then after he clicked on connect, he probably went to Patreon. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's making a, a monthly contribution along with a bunch of others. Justin, we sure appreciate that. That also means that Justin and the others will be receiving a private Zoom link, John. I, I, yeah, I for just... our annual, should we announce? We can announce the date. The real talk patreon zoom holiday party great uh, is going to be coming up on uh that's going to be on friday 
December 22nd. So there won't be an episode of Real Talk. That just means we're going to get together on Zoom with a couple hundred of our closest friends. Baileys and hot chocolate or whatever you want. Whatever you want. I think we had the mimosas going last year. Yeah, I was at um, an event on Tuesday and a guy came right up to me. I was doing a photo booth and he's, he's like... Can't wait for that Patreon. It's so much mixer. fun. It's so <laughs> yeah. much fun because we, you know, we, we basically we open it up, we play some games, we give away some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. We let you can ask us questions. Peel back we, the curtain a bit. We peel back the curtain a little bit, and um, yeah, sure appreciate that. Uh, Morgan says, "Jess, well, it's time to get Mark Doran back on the show." Mm-hmm. Hey, Doran's always open for Mark, uh, and uh, I know Mark's watching. Listen, I think Mark would agree with me. We want to make sure that we get as many possible voices on here as possible. Uh, you know, you've heard Markham Hislop on here, Max Fawcett on here. There's lots of energy commentators on here, and we're grateful for that. Uh, Jenny Yeremy hit it out of the park last week. She's super smart with the stuff she was bringing to the table. She got us thinking about natural gas. She she tied natural it. She tied. Gas. She she said natural gas and coal. Yeah. Or maybe not as far apart as you might think. She said, actually, there's some context where natural gas is more of a pollutant than coal. And, and a whole bunch of, there were like people <laughs> writing in going, what the hell did I just hear? And I, I said, well, I mean, do the research. And Jenny got us all thinking. So we appreciate that. Coming up on Friday's Real Talk, that's tomorrow. Lest we forget, Real Talk presents a Remembrance Day themed Real Talk Roundtable. You're not going to want to miss this. Featuring retired Lieutenant Colonel, a former fighter pilot, a former MP, Lori Hahn. We're going to meet a reservist who served Colonel Chris Hunt and a good friend of mine, Honorary Colonel Jalen Nye. That's coming up on Friday's Real Talk. We thank you in advance for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.